0: Hello, and welcome to our podcast, Within the Mist, a hidden place where we walk into the dark and clouded unknown to tell stories and analyze the likes of cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries. For our, and hopefully for your amusement, I am your It Came Out of the Woods host, Gary, with my (laughs) wife and co-host, Goldie Ann. Hello, Goldie Ann. Hello, Woody. Woody? (laughs) Um, Okay. (laughs) Hey, Goldie Ann. Do you know why aliens don't like traveling to Earth? Because they've met us? That's possibly <laughs> true, too, because the Earth only received one star. I don't blame them. You don't blame them. <laughs> One star,
1: yeah. If that.
0: Despite the numerous number of people who have seen UFOs, this one's going to be a little bit of a different type of story. Ooh, it's a
1: UFO story.
0: Well, that's one theory behind it. Oh. In fact, today's episode contains stories about a creature that terrifies a group of children in a toxic substance that made them sick. Some members of the audience might find this a bit unsettling, so be forewarned. We are storytellers who have gathered information on some of our favorite mysteries to bring to you. We don't attempt to scare our listeners on purpose. Well, maybe just a little. Listener discretion is always advised. Part 1, Gelatinous Cube.
1: Is that what it is?
0: Uh, No, this Ah. isn't quite a and d subject. (laughs) Okay. But now let's take a walk within the mist. West Virginia has a long history with the supernatural. This has included everything from cryptids like the Mothman to the Greenbrier Ghost. None, though, can match the utter strangeness that occurred in 1952 to the center of West Virginia's Braxton County in the quintessentially quiet American town known as Flatwoods. Braxton County was formed in 1836 in the very center of West Virginia. The town of Flatwoods was a small and quiet part of that, with less than 300 residents since 1902. This would all change nearly 70 years ago when eyewitnesses swore that they had an incredibly close encounter with a colossal creature From out of this world. Wow. The town would be so affected by the events that happened to a single mother and a group of children, that even the greeting sign to the town now reads, Welcome to Flatwoods, home of the Green Monster. Cool. Now, this creature would be known by many names, the Green Monster or the Braxton County Monster. But it has one name that the entire world recognizes. Today, we discuss the Flatwoods Monster. Awesome. have you ever heard of this one before? I have not. Okay. Other
1: than listening to you. (laughs) Well,
0: good. At least someone's (laughs) listening to me. I'll take all the help I can get. There you go. Well, I'm going to fill you in on all of the details. Okay. I'm ready. Chapter one, football game interruption. The legend of the Flatwoods Monster begins as the sun goes down on one of the last warm days at 7.20 p.m. on September 12, 1952. A group of boys were playing a football game at the Flatwoods Grade School. There was 13-year-old Edison May with his 12-year-old brother Freddie. Also present was 10-year-old neighbor Tommy Heyer and two unnamed boys. They were in the middle of their game when one of the boys noticed a massive, reddish fireball streaking across the sky. It was moving very low in the sky and coming closer. It was obvious that it was about to come down to earth. The boys watched the burning object and prepared for the crash over the ridge. The glowing ovoid object, however, completed a series of precise maneuvers instead of crashing. This includes stopping in midair before dropping directly downwards and making a controlled landing rather than a crash. Mm-hmm. The land that it came down on was a wooded ridge located on the Bailey Fisher farm. The object may have avoided to crash, but its landing was hard enough to rattle windows of nearby homes and cut off the radio waves in the area for about forty five minutes. Wow. Excited by the strange sightings, the boys all began to run up Depot Street, so named because of the railroad nearby, to discover what the red object had been. The home of Ed and Freddie was on the way, so the two boys stopped at the May home to inform their mother,
1: nutrition Kathleen May, about the crash. I used to chase rainbows, but I never was able to chase a meteor. (laughs) This
0: one was close enough, and they were... Pretty sure they knew where it came down from, but on the way, they decided to check with their mother, you know, get permission. Of course. Good boys. Good boys. Now, despite watching the object make a controlled landing, Tommy, one of the boys, hoped that it might have been a meteor. He learned in school that meteors could be valuable finds, possibly even containing gold or other minerals. Kathleen, the mother, was skeptical at first, but when she came outside of her home and looked upwards at the woods, there she could see a slowly pulsing red light. She could not identify the object from the distance, but there would occasionally be a series of three flashes of light near the top of the ridge. The mother realized that they had to discover what had happened. She was not thinking about meteors, and the thought of it being a UFO had never crossed her mind at this point. She was concerned that it had been an aircraft and that the pilots might be injured and needing help. you good mom. Very much so. <laughs> she was a single mother, so she was very diligent on taking care of her boys and pretty much the community around her. Right. But she also knew that she needed help from another adult. So she sent the boys to the nearby home of their cousin, 17-year-old Eugene Levin, who was a member of the National Guard. The boys quickly returned with
1: Eugene and his dog, Ricky. Ricky. I love animals that have human names. (laughs) Eugene was only
0: armed with a flashlight, but he gathered the boys and the mother to start making their way up the hill along the trail, which was beginning to grow darker as the sun had now set.
1: It kind of seemed weird. (laughs) A red pulsing light out there, but I guess she was more worried that somebody was hurt. I don't know how I would feel about it.
0: Well, what would you do if your children came to you and said that they saw a crashing red rock and they wanted to go check it out?
1: Um, I'd tell them no. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a little controlling, though, of a parent. (laughs) Way over controlling. (laughs) But, yeah.
0: Well, in this case, they all decided to go take a look. Cool. Chapter 2, The Red Rock. The dog was racing back and forth with the group as they made their way to the base of the ridge. Deciding to race ahead, the brave canine ran up the trail and disappeared around the curve that was now completely bathed in a
1: continually pulsating red light. Okay, may I interject here and say I'm also a very controlling dog parent, and I would not allow my dog out of my sight (laughs) to a pulsing red light. I mean, I'm like... On the nerve right now thinking that dog is out there alone
0: (laughs) well he's alone but the rest of the group followed eugene's flashlight and walked slower towards the top of the hill they had not gotten far when they heard the dog barking hysterically and then whine out of unmistakable fear (laughs) see exactly you were right eugene had never known the canine to be afraid of anything so he increased the pace in the hopes of helping the animal. Without warning, the dog dashed out from the thicket and raced back down the reddish illuminated hill. The hound was so frightened that it was trembling with its tail tucked between its legs. Eugene knew at that moment that whatever the dog had seen, it must have been truly terrifying. Run puppy, run. Well, despite the shock of the terrified dog's return, Kathleen and the boys continued onward. Eugene's faithful companion was hesitant, but it ignored its obvious fear and followed its master and the rest of the group back up the hill. Eugene was at the front with his flashlight, and they finally came upon the source of the red light. It was resting on the ground about 50 feet to their right. It would be described as a huge circular or ovoid object which resembled, quote, a faintly glowing mass of red coals. Hmm. It seemed to look more like a meteor in appearance about the size of a house. The object was no longer pulsating the red light anymore. It did not appear like any piece of technology or aircraft. Spurned on by the excitement of discovery, Eugene raced towards an old wooden gate. The others were more hesitant until Kathleen led them onwards to the gate which separated the group from the field where the object had come to rest. <laughs> the band of children and the single mother was so distracted by the sight of the gigantic glowing rock that they failed to notice the low-hanging smoky mist. It had begun to drift around their ankles. The fog would envelop the ground around the entire area in which the object rested. Wow. Kathleen thought the night was foggy and that this was just a mist from the evening air. It was a common occurrence for the hills of West Virginia when the day's heat returned to the chilly night. She would discover later that this was something else. The fog had a metallic smell which burned her eyes and nose. Suddenly, the entire group became overwhelmed by the nauseating odor. While their attention was focused on the red orb pulsating in the field, none of them noticed a dark shape. It was watching them from the shadows of the oak trees. It had glowing eyes and was less than ten feet to their left.
1: Hmm. Wow. So, needless to say, I'm worried about the dog.
0: (laughs) Well, the dog had already seen it and had his experience and came running back.
1: Yeah, but he's back in there now with the low-lying metallic odor. And he's low-lying because he's a dog.
0: True, he is closer to the mist. Yeah. But it is affecting everyone.
1: Yeah, well, let's get the dog out of there. Well, first, we're going to have
0: to face <laughs> Chapter 3. Oh, no! The Green Monster. No! It was the dog which was the first to notice the presence of this entity in the woods. It whipped around and began growling at the darkness. The entire group turned from the shocking find of the red rock to see the dog bear its teeth with the hair on its back bristled. up. Everyone stared into the darkness to attempt to determine what was wrong. That's scary. Eugene noticed a pair of blue lights just beneath the branches of a great oak tree. However, it was too dark to determine the source. Very scary indeed. Mm. Kathleen then told the National Guardsman to point his flashlight. Everyone was in total disbelief, and a complete silence fell over all of them, except for Kathleen, who gasped in terror. Suddenly, she and the boys were suddenly squirted with a viscous oil substance that sprayed from the massive creature. Gross! Within the flashlight... Hovering near the base of the oak was a gigantic 10 to 12 foot tall figure. It was mostly humanoid in shape with a round metallic blood red face surrounded by a pointed hood. The hood resembled a slightly curved spade from a deck of playing cards. Okay. According to Kathleen's later account, she would describe the figure as having the lower portion resembling hanging drapes made from the metal pleats. <laughs> A pair of light blue beams were emanating from the thing's eyes which seemed to change in color between orange and green. The metallic figure lit up from the inside with some sort of interior illumination. It reached out with small claw-like hands that extended in front of it. All in all, it was quite a terrifying sight. Mm-hmm. Freddy would later clarify to the description of the metal pleats of the skirt by describing them as actually tubes running vertically. They were metal pipes as thick as his arms, and the eyes were portals rather than biological in nature. Hmm. It is theorized that the metal pipes might have been the propulsion unit that enabled the entity to hover, or perhaps it was part of a concealed alien's life support system. It is also possible that the entity was empty of life but was a robotic sentinel from the glowing rock-like spaceship.
1: What the hell is it? (laughs) So many different answers.
0: (laughs) The choices are endless. The children, led by Eugene and Kathleen, were only ten feet away from the giant as it floated atop the mist from the shadows of the trees. They were trapped between the creature and the glowing red orb. Without warning, the metallic contraption suddenly lunged forward towards the terrified adventurers. The sudden movement caused a shrill hydraulic hiss, <laughs> and the sickening acrid odor returned once more. It is possible that the fog was a defense mechanism, similar to the reaction of a skunk defending itself. It worked for me. <laughs> and me. It may have assumed that the children to be hostile aliens... Well. It is also possible that these were the, only the exhaust fumes that enabled it to float. <laughs> Eugene, who was in the lead, screamed out in shock as it moved towards him. He dropped his flashlight and collapsed backwards, placing them all in darkness. As the creature disappeared in the night, without the flashlight, the group turned back down the pathway in a blind panic and ran back down the hill. Damn straight. One of the eyewitnesses, Tommy, told that he had to crawl under the fence to get away, but that the terrified mother, Kathleen, climbed the six-foot-high fence without even opening it. (laughs) The band finally reached the bottom of the hill and looked back up to make sure that they were not being followed. It was then that most of the group became violently ill and began vomiting. (sighs) Kathleen knew that it was more than just fear and at the rush of adrenaline that was causing them to feel sick. She was afraid that the children had been exposed to something toxic. Ugh. Her fear seemed to be verified when some of the children began to exhibit additional symptoms, such as skin rashes, swollen throats, and red irritated eyes. They even had swollen nasal passages, which lasted for weeks.
1: They're allergic to aliens.
0: Wouldn't everyone be... Pay- <laughs> Kathleen prayed that her children would not suffer permanent damage from all of their close encounters. Eugene suffered the most throughout the night due to being the closest to the creature. He had multiple bouts of vomiting and even seizures. The doctor who treated him and several of the other eyewitnesses later claimed that their symptoms were very similar to those described by victims exposed to mustard gas. Hmm. Tragically, oh, no. The brave dog, Ricky, that had journeyed up and down the ridge with the group, allegedly died two days later after the incident from excessive vomiting. Remember that while he was at the site of the encounter, he was also at ground level for the noxious noxiousness. Yes. So like you said, he oh, had the most contact and was the most exposed.
1: Okay, I'm leaving now. You can finish your story.
0: I know, it's one of those situations, we don't care what happens in the movie so long as the dog doesn't die. That's right. And this story, unfortunately, Ricky did pass away. Oh, poor puppy. Kathleen wasted no time calling the local sheriff, Robert Carr. But he already had his hands full.
1: Uh-oh. Sounds like there's more to come. Well, there's always going to be more to come. Yeah. yeah, but what do you have his hands full with? Chapter four.
0: <laughs> Chapter four, they are not alone. It took the sheriff a long time to arrive to the home of the May residents. He was already investigating what had been reported as another potential plane crash, some 11 miles away from Flatwoods at Elk River. Nothing was found at the scene. There was no crash, but there was many eyewitnesses. <laughs> Could another UFO had landed in West Virginia on the exact same night, only 11 miles away?
1: Um, or maybe they just aren't very good at their distance. They saw the same one? Or is it different? Different time?
0: Well, Robert Carr was already out investigating this UFO while the May family was investigating their own. Hmm. So it would be been two at the same time. Interesting. Robert Carr contacted the local newspaper publisher, A. Lee Stewart, who had been working on stories of a flap of UFO sightings in the area. Mm. There would be a number of UFOs reported around the time in the area of this incident. For example, a resident of nearby Birch River reportedly spied a bright orange ball circling for 15 minutes over the zone where the creature that the May family had seen.
1: Dang. I wonder why the May family didn't see it. Well, the kids saw it. I thought they just saw the meteor coming down.
0: Well, they saw the tail end of its crashing, I guess. They were busy playing football, as boys would. True, true. Now, after orbiting the landing site, the orb that he saw abruptly shot off towards the airport at Sutton West, where an object was also reported by eyewitnesses in that location. Uh Uh-oh. When the sheriff finally did arrive, it seemed as though the entire neighborhood was there. Flatwoods (laughs) was buzzing with rumors. In an attempt to get to the bottom of the situation, Sheriff Carr was eager to get to the scene of the encounter. However, Eugene refused to go back up to the ridge, and it required some convincing to get him to ignore his fear and his illness long enough to escort the sheriff and the reporter up the hill to the scene of the Red orb. When the three men finally did reach the top of the hill, they all noted an odor of sickening burnt metal. It would be described as the scent of a burnt out vacuum tube oh, in an gross. old TV
1: set. Oh that's horrible smell. Right.
0: <sighs> this is usually compared to a burnt ozone smell. It was lingering in the air when Stuart discovered a long pair of strange tracks. Uh oh. There was also faint amounts of the oily black liquid on the trees and grass. Mm. The metallic ten-foot-tall creature was absent, as was the molten red orb.
1: Ten foot tall? Oh, man. Okay. I was totally picturing that different. Dang, that's big.
0: Yes, it is.
1: I was thinking short little stocky thing.
0: No, he was (sighs) huge.
1: Yeah, like Dover Demon or something. (laughs)
0: No, on the opposite end of the spectrum, this one's 10 to 12 feet tall. Uh-huh. In fact, another sighting of this creature, similar in description to the Flatwoods Monster, was reported by a Mrs. Audra Harper, not long before this infamous sighting on Fisher's Farm. Mm. Harper claimed to have seen the monster while walking through the woods near her home outside of the town of Heaters, West Virginia. Hmm. Heaters is only about five miles north of Flatwoods. She and her friend were walking to a nearby store, and the road leading out of their property was impossible for a vehicle to travel along. The road was so rutted that they were taking a shortcut through the forest instead of walking the road, which would have increased their trip significantly.
1: Yeah, I'm, I've seen that. Yeah, gutted roads? Yeah, well, driveways mostly, in unlike Louisiana. pull up to the road. You can't get by it, so you have to go around it. Then you're just making another ride, and it's it's a never-ending cycle.
0: Well, for these two girls, they decided to walk it instead of uh, traveling by car. About a half mile into their trip, they noticed a ball of fire on one of the hills that they were passing. Harper dismissed it, assuming that one of her neighbors was out fox chasing and that it was a flashlight she saw. When she glanced back, she saw something unbelievable. The fire had vanished, and in its place stood the tall, dark silhouette of a man-shaped figure. Terrified, Harper and her friend ran, escaping amongst the rocks and boulders strewn about the hillside. They would never travel by that route again, but they were convinced that the shadowy figure they saw was the same one as the one reported in Flatwoods. He was a busy little guy. Or big guy. Or multiples of the guys. Ooh. Yeah. Stewart and other reporters quickly captured the public's attention. It also attracted the attention of author and paranormal investigator John Keel, who was early in his career. From his investigation, he reported that a young couple also had their own terrifying encounter with a similar creature, just 20 miles southwest of Flatwoods, on the next morning of September 13, 1952. Mm. The man and woman had been traveling between Ohio and New York through a wooded area when their car engine died. The husband got out in order to check the engine. As he attempted to determine the cause of the malfunction, he noticed a weird light pouring through the trees at the side of the road. Walking from the car, he made his way through the thicket, overcome by curiosity. He wanted to discover the source of the strange lights. The closer he got, the more he felt a gentle electrical energy rippling through his body. This was accompanied by a sickening sulfurous stench that overwhelmed him. He staggered back to the car, collapsing behind the wheel. His concerned wife shrieked when she spied that something had followed him out of the woods and was headed towards their vehicle. From the waist down, the floating seven to nine foot tall entity seemed identical to the being that described the night before. The creature seemed to be floating in a bucket-like apparatus, with the same described tubes similar to those of Freddy's description. Cool. Now, the remainder of the description varied from the original creature, in that in this encounter the top half of the monster was not wearing a rounded helmet and a spade-like collar. Instead, it was exposed to reveal a humanoid torso with the head of a distinctly reptilian features. Hmm. It also had a pair of arms that tapered down into two claw-like appendages. This could have been the creature inside the metallic thing seen the night before. So now we have an idea of what might be within the metallic creature. That's crazy. The terrified couple were unable to do anything as their car would not start. From within their car, they were only able to watch in horror as the reptilian thing floated around them. It stared at them with an icy gaze and reached out, placing two of its fingers on the hood. The paint began to bubble and blister from the heat of its scaly touch. (laughs) Luckily, the being decided against any further assault. It turned around to disappear back into the woods. A pulsating sphere of light arose from its direction a few moments later. It was then that their car engine restarted and the couple were able to continue on
1: with their journey. Could you imagine being trapped with nowhere to go and something like that happening? Even worse, the husband was
0: pretty much incapacitated as he was coughing and gagging from the fumes. Yeah. So he couldn't do anything. She's trying to protect him and herself as a creature is melting the paint off their car. <laughs> Crazy. So now you have three different incidences that are similar and in the same area as the Flatwoods monster. Right. But we need to look upwards. So. Chapter 5 From the Cosmos. <laughs> it was during 1947 that the term for flying saucers was created. Since that time, people reported seeing their lights in the night sky, and Hollywood was also very quick to pick up on the interest with science fiction and aliens as a frequent topic of movie features. Of course. In reality, the government would also be involved in their own investigations into the possibilities of unidentified flying objects. Project Blue Book from the Air Force was in its early stages by the 1950s and were involved in the incident of Flatwoods. Ah. This is one of the cases in which Project Blue Book was genuinely active during the investigation. They had collected the May family sketches, which were not extremely detailed, but Very similar. The family members all drew the same thing. Their investigators, who went there after the sighting, stated that there was an unusual smell or odor in the area. It was also said that the trees in the area were singed at the top. There were also investigators who said that the branches were broken. Kathleen later confirmed that she was confronted by two men not long after the event. They first identified themselves as reporters, and then admitted that they were with the U.S. Air Force, and that they had been dispatched to interview her about her encounter.
1: Wow. Seems like it would have been the other way around. (laughs) In what way? Uh, Reporters saying they were U.S. Air Force.
0: True. In this way, the um, government agents were trying to lie, but then just Mm. came clean about it. It would be these two plainclothes government investigators who would recreate the theory of a genuine astronomical phenomenon in a throwaway line in one of Stewart's newspaper articles. Uh-oh. To them, the witnesses only saw an owl. An owl? The creature being an owl was supposed to be just a joke that Stewart, the newspaperman, threw on at the end of his article. He said that people looked genuinely terrified, but maybe they only saw an owl. Wow. It was supposed to be humor. Hmm. The government agents, who are known for their lack of humor, did not take this as sarcasm. They claimed that the event was nothing more than confused observers spying a meteor, chasing it up a hill, and then being frightened by an owl in a tree. Wow. More so, the eyewitnesses would then suffer from mass hysteria, making the group
1: physically ill. I tell you, I think I would be scared to death of a 10-foot owl. thats They're already mean animals. 10 foot? God.
0: I don't think that the government agents were trying to say it was a 10-foot owl.
1: Well, that's what they said. Wow.
0: Well. <laughs> <laughs> this dismissal does ignore the pulsing red light seen atop the hill by multiple eyewitnesses, as well as the vibrations that went through the area after the object landed. It also neglects the fact that many observers also claim to have seen the UFOs in other regions close by. So, not everyone could have seen the same meteor in Correct. different locations. Right. Also, to your point, owls are decent sized, but they are not as big as the description of the Flatwoods monster. Nor do they have anything close to the features that they saw in the Flatwoods monster. Right. So, what do you think of this story? Well,
1: you know, as we're going along, I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, the government is being ridiculous.
0: Well, at the time, there was a lot of fears. This was the beginning of the Cold War, communisms everywhere. Oh, dear. So, everything was a government plot or foreign national conspiracy. Cover up, yeah. Pretty much. That was the mood of the time.
1: Well, I mean, it's still the mood than time when you mention UFOs and government. They're becoming more open. We'll see how it goes.
0: Yeah. But for the town of Flatwoods, Flatwood hosts an annual Flatwoods Monster Fest during August of each year. It had to have been canceled in 2021 due to COVID. Stupid COVID. <laughs> but I'm not currently aware of its status for 2022. Hopefully, it continues and everything does come back to normal. Yeah. The festival normally hosts a carnival with games, parade, music, and food. And drawings and represents...
1: That sounds fun. Drawings
0: and representatives of Flatwood's Green Monster are everywhere to be seen. That's awesome. Yeah, it would be definitely fun to do. First Mothman, though. (laughs) Well, that's in September, so you can do this in August and then
1: go to the Mothman in September. There we go. Working to work in between.
0: <laughs> the Flatwoods monster does lend itself to also being very unique and quite a symbol for various video games. What? You can, yeah. You can find the Flatwoods monster in the video game Fallout 76. Huh. This version is hovering with glowing purple eyes and is capable of abducting wastelanders in the video game.
1: Ah, oh, that's my son if he's played it.
0: Well, Fallout 76 isn't the only game with a spade-cowled creature. Majora's Mask Ghosts are very closely resembling the description of the Flatwoods monsters in the Zelda games. Really? Oh! In these games, they abduct cows and are generally part of this video game series. For movies, there aren't any horror movies or sci-fi fixtures that use the Flatwoods monster as its main villain or creature. Okay. There are two documentaries though, that cover the entity in great detail. Flatwoods monster, a legacy of fear unlocks the decades old mystery that included a government ordered military exam and a purported alien crash with multiple UFOs seen by the residents of Braxton County. This was a creation of the Small Town Monsters production. Cool. Another documentary is called The Flatwoods Monster Case. It also evaluates the unusual happenings, the UFO cases, and the work of Ivan Sanderson, who is famous for his work on the paranormal and UFOs. It also has his own uh, taped recording interview, so you get the words directly out of hearing from the
1: main dude himself.
0: Exactly. Awesome. Sorry, I just finished your sandwich. I appreciate it. <laughs> okay, so putting all of this together with the Flatwoods Monster, what are some of your final opinions?
1: I think it, it's cool. I reckon some more investigations, because I'd never heard of it before. Yeah, you know, I'm not really much on the UFO aliens as much as I am the other cryptids and Ghosts, of course. But I I could get in on this. Well, the only negative part that I
0: have to it is that it hasn't been seen since the 1950s. Or at least there aren't any stories or reports that I came across. Yeah. So if these were aliens, I guess their trip during the 1950s wasn't a success, so they never came back.
1: Well, they definitely don't need to come back nowadays. They would be very disappointed. Yes.
0: Well, we hope that you haven't been. And being sure not to breathe the toxic fog tonight, I suppose this is a good time to make our way back out of the mist and bring this episode to a close. Special thanks to David Fasilian and Fasilian Studios for the introduction music. We would like to ask you to please leave us a review on the podcast provider you are listening to this on to help promote the show. We are on all social medias and would love to hear your stories and opinions about encounters with aliens of your own. You can reach us on our Facebook page, Within the Miss Podcast. We are also on Instagram and Twitter. Plus, we have an email so that you can write us directly at within the Podcast at gmail.com. This is for any of you who would like to share. We love stories, and we want to hear about your own personal experiences. For those of you who may need a daily dose of cryptids, ghosts, and aliens, We have a TikTok channel which gives a few-minute clips about a story involving some of your favorites and some unknown creatures and spirits. We hope you enjoyed our stories about the Flatwoods Monster, and we'll come again for another episode. But until then, look to the skies and have a great evening. Bye, everyone.
1: Goodbye. See you next time.